0: please email us at info at capitalcommunitychurch.com. We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 27 to 30. Our Lord says, My sheep... this text, perhaps more than any other text in all of the Bible, teaches the fact that the true Christian cannot lose their salvation. So we've talked about the understanding of assurance. Assurance is your understanding that you are indeed saved. And really there's two elements to assurance, two questions that you have to answer. The first question is, am I actually a genuine believer? That's the first question, and that's the the question that Jesus answers in verse 27. This is what the believer is. The believers are those who hear his voice, who he knows, they know him, and they follow him. That's the Christian. That's the, the first question. The second question is this. Can a true Christian ever lose their salvation? And our Lord answers that question with an unequivocal, incontrovertible no. The true Christian can never lose their salvation. And the answer for why they can't lose their salvation isn't because we're so special and we're so smart and we're so great. It's because he is so powerful. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand and no one can snatch the sheep out of my father's hand. The hand of God, when you read the Old Testament, it it says over and over, Moses writes that Yahweh led out the children of Egypt with his mighty arm, with his mighty hand. The arm of God, the hand of God, represents the power of God. That's what, obviously, God is a spirit. God doesn't have a literal hand. And, we can't fit in Jesus' hand. He's a person. He's talking about metaphorically repre- representing the, the power of God, the infinite power of God. And we must emphasize this, I say, because there are many, many who think, many who teach that the believer can lose and forfeit their salvation on, for theological reasons. Let me give you some of those right now. First critical mistake that some make is that they base their theology of salvation on free will. They base their theology of salvation on free will. They emphasize that it is man's choice which puts you into salvation, and then by virtue of that fact, if it's your choice that got you in, it's your choice that can get you out if i believe then i can leave they say so for example this is uh, from the catholic catechism this is what roman catholics teach quote mortal sin is a radical possibility of human freedom as is love itself it results in the loss of charity and the privation of sanctifying grace that is the state of grace it is not redeemed by repentance and god's forgiveness It causes exclusion from Christ's kingdom and the eternal death of hell. So just listen to that very carefully. The Catholic catechism teaches that if you commit what is called a mortal sin, then your salvation is lost. It's called a mortal sin, not that it kills you instantly, but because it kills your salvation. That's why it's called a mortal sin. So if you commit a mortal sin in Roman Catholic theology, how do you get your salvation back? Through penance. You come, you confess the mortal sin to the priest, and the priest says, now you need to do so many Hail Marys, so many Thou Fathers, you need to go to the hospital twice a month, and you need to go help people at the homeless shelter, and then you'll have your salvation returned to you. Let me ask you a question. Can you ever have true assurance of salvation in that system? No. No, you cannot because you're always wondering, will I commit a mortal sin, which will cause me to forfeit salvation, and have I actually done the right amount of penance to get me back in? You can never have assurance. Luther in the Reformation, he never had assurance. So many in Roman Catholicism, if you say, I have 100% assurance, they will say, well, that's very prideful and arrogant of you to say that, because they're basing their salvation on whether, whether or not they're actually in the Catholic penitential system. Others, and this is what we would call Arminians, not Armenians. Sometimes I hear that. Armenians, spelled with an E, are from the country of Armenia. Armenians are those who believe the theology of a guy named Jacob Arminius. Completely different. Don't confuse the two. You'll get very confused very quickly. Arminius lived in the 1500s, and he said the true believer can simply forfeit their salvation on virtue of their own free will. If you got in by virtue of your own free will, you can leave on your own free will. Uh, John Wesley, ever heard of him? God love him. He was an Arminian. He taught that you could lose your salvation. Many have taught this. The Methodist church, many in the Methodist church still teach this. Uh, This is a quote from the followers of Arminius. Quote, persons truly regenerate by neglecting grace and grieving the Holy Spirit with sin fall away totally and at length finally from grace Into eternal retribution, end quote. So you can fall away from grace, finally, totally, to hell itself and sacrifice all of your salvation. And and here's how they reason they reason if I, by my own volition, became a Christian, then I, by my own volition, can stop becoming a Christian. Do you see the logic there? But here's the reality. When you become a Christian, God keeps you as a believer. God keeps you. And the Arminians said, well, that would then violate man's free will if God keeps you. But in so saying that, they prove too much because will anyone actually sin in heaven? No, we will not. There will be no sin. We will be perfect. Does that mean in heaven that God is violating man's free will? No. So the Arminian is proving too much in making that statement. The Arminian is failing to understand that God keeps the Christian, preserves the Christian in accordance with the Christian's will because God gives us a new heart. That's what the new birth is about. So that's critical mistake number one, is that you believe you can forfeit salvation by virtue of your own free will. Critical mistake number two is believing that those who fall away from the faith lose their salvation. That's the mistake, because here's the reality. Those who fall away from faith never had salvation. That's the critical mistake, let me, let me read you a verse from 1 John, really important verse, 1 John 2, 19. John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. Did you hear that? They left because they didn't belong. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. And we know all the time, I talk to Christians all the time, they said, I know you can lose your salvation because I saw it happen to Tommy. I saw it happen to Jenny. I grew up with my best friend in the youth group was a guy, clear testimony, clear statement of faith, but his spiritual life was always a yo-yo, was always a yo-yo. It was drugs, then camp, and, and, I'm, and I'm back in it. Then it's the wrong crowd, and then it's Friday night, I'm back in it it was always a yo-yo, and when we got to college, he joined a fraternity and left the faith. John says that shows that he was never actually in it. If you renounce your faith, it shows that you never possessed the faith, because true faith must continue to the end. Now, many claim to be believers. Many claim to have faith. And this is what I think Paul is referring to in Galatians 5 verse 4. He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. The Arminian takes that verse and says, see, you can fall away from grace. You can be severed from Christ when you were with Christ. And what I think Paul is saying in Galatians 5 verse 4 is that you are falling away from your profession of faith by saying that you can be justified by the law apart from Christ, you're falling away from your original position of grace. Because what the Bible says is that the true believer, the true believer always perseveres to the end. So it's not just once saved, always saved, it's once saved, you persevere. You never relinquish the faith though trials come. This is why the parable of the, so- the sower and the soils in, Mark th- or in Matthew 13 is so important for you to understand. I think it's one of the most important parables in the New Testament because Jesus explains very clearly the difference between saving faith and false faith. Saving faith always perseveres. The rocky soil and the thorny soil does not. Saving faith always produces fruit, the rocky soil and the thorny soil, does not. The Christian always obeys God. That's 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. James says in James 2, that faith without works is dead. True faith perseveres. Jesus says, Matthew twenty four thirteen. the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter four, verse seven, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, and thus there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not only for me, but for all those who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I continue to the end. That's what, if true faith finishes the race. If you don't finish the race, your faith wasn't legitimate, but the reality is, is that God keeps you. And that's understanding the critical mistake number three. This is the critical mistake number three. Critical mistake number three is forgetting that salvation is ultimately a work of divine grace. And what I mean by that is that it is God's work from beginning to end. That's what Jonah says. Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. There was a Swiss theologian that taught theology up at Gordon-Conwell in Massachusetts named Roger Nicole, he said this, quote, the key to perseverance is the preservation by God of his saints. That is the key to perseverance. I want to show you this from a, a couple texts. I want you to turn to the left to John chapter 6, verse 37. John six thirty seven is what Jesus says. Notice the emphasis on the Godhead, the work of God, all that the Father gives me. Where does salvation start? It starts with God, the sheep that the Father gives the Son. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, look at this. So the sheep, we come. And then he says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Christ will never cast out. He's saying, I keep them. Salvation begins with who? The Father giving the sheep to the Son. Salvation ends with who? Christ saying, I will never cast them out. Let me show you. Turn to the book of Romans, turn to the right to Romans chapter 8. This is a marvelous section of Scripture, beginning in verse 29. Romans 8, 29. Sometimes this section of Scripture, verses 29 and 30, are called the golden chain of salvation. That's what the Puritan William Perkins, who taught at Cambridge in the 1500s, that's what he called these two verses, the golden chain of salvation. And I'll explain why in a moment. But let me read this to you. And I just want you to pay attention to the the logic of this text. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In those whom he predestined, he also called. In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, notice that first word for new in verse 29. The word is prognosko, which means to know beforehand. Now, we've been looking at this word know in in Scripture. You remember how Jesus uses it in, in verse 37, I know my sheep. Jesus means more than an intellectual knowledge of the sheep. He means a love of the sheep. He means an intimate knowledge. That's what it means to know God. It's not just that you know facts about God. It means that you know God. So when Paul says that God foreknew people. It doesn't just mean he, he knows people ahead of time, that they'll exist. It means that he foreloves them. And he says, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And then those whom he predestined, verse 30, he also calls. And those whom he calls, he justifies. That's by virtue of faith. And then look, those whom he justified, he also glorified. What's Glorification. That's heaven. That's the end. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the final destination. So, several things to notice here. Notice, when it begins in verse 29, that those of verse 29 whom he foreknew are the same those who are justified and glorified in verse 30. Do you see that? Same people. It's the same people all the way through it's the same group. Not one is lost. So, if you are foreknown here in verse 29, you are glorified in verse 30. And then notice who is the actor in this text. It's God. It's God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God glorified. God's the actor. Salvation begins and ends with God. And so if you understand that logic, then you can understand why Jesus is saying, I will not not lose any sheep from my hand. Now one more argument, I didn't even put it in your notes, but one more argument that we need to understand is those who think that you can lose your salvation fail to understand the power of the blood of Christ. Because when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just make salvation potential, he made salvation actual. The cross saves. When Jesus died, he bought you with his blood. Do you think he's going to lose people he bought? No way. No way that's the power of the cross. So what Jesus is going to explain here is why salvation, why eternal life is certain. And I want to give you four quick reasons that Jesus explains why eternal life is certain. So turn back to John chapter 10. And the first reason is this, eternal life is certain because of the nature of the gift Look at verse 28. Jesus says, talking about the sheep, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Jesus uses this language of giving a gift. It is something that is given, not earned. S. Lewis Johnson, a preacher in Dallas where I grew up, said, quote, many believe in the principle of free will. I believe in the principle of free will grace that God gives gifts. And that's what Paul says, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. So if God gives you a gift, think about this, is God going to bring the gift back from you? No, that would mean it's not a gift, it was a loan. God doesn't repossess salvation. God gives you a gift. That's what salvation is. It's not earned, it's a gift. And then what is the gift that God gives? Look at the text. He says, I give them what? Eternal life. Aeonion, aeon, life. I give them, that word means a period of time without beginning or end. And of course, you know John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Life that goes on forever and ever and ever into the future. And that's that's opposed to perishing. That's contrasted to perishing. Perishing is going to hell in judgment. You will have eternal life, not in hell. You will enjoy the life of God forever and ever Jesus taught this over and over again. This is what the apostles taught. John six forty-seven. Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has present tense eternal life." John the apostle said, 1 John two twenty-five. This is the promise that he made to us: eternal life." First John five eleven. And this is the testimony that God gave us: eternal life. And this life is in His Son. I used to evangelize all the time with Grace Anna's dad, Carl Brogy, when I worked for him down in South Carolina. And one of the questions that he would often ask people is, he said, he would ask them, can you lose eternal life? And they would think about it. And regardless of how they answered, he said, if you could lose eternal life, then that means that you never had eternal life. Because think carefully, if you have eternal life, and it's eternal, then can you lose it? No, because it's eternal. When I first became a Christian, this reality of eternal life is what really blew me away as a kid, that my relationship with God will go on forever and ever and ever and ever, and it's never-ending, and that right now I possess heaven itself isn't that amazing what what Christ gives to you? You don't have to worry about penance and doing good works and showing up to the hospital to try and earn this. It's a gift. And once you have it, it can never be lost. That's the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, praise be to God. So the second point that Jesus makes about eternal life, it's certain because it's a gift, that's first, It's certain also because of Christ's power. It's certain because of Christ's power. Look at the second half of verse 28. Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Eternal life is certain because of the great power of Christ. And the way that Jesus demonstrates this power and exercises this power is through his ministry of intercession. Jesus prays for you. Right now, he's praying and interceding for you. Did you know that? If you're a believer? Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear, if I could just hear Jesus praying for me, I would not fear a million enemies. But he is praying for me. So the distance makes no difference. He is praying for you and thus the power is there, that he will hold you in his hand. I was reminded of Peter's betrayal. This is what Jesus said to Peter in the upper room. This is Luke 22. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Notice how I think it's interesting. Satan has to ask permission from Christ to have Peter. And Satan asked to have you that he might sift you like wheat. We have no chance against Satan as individuals. If Satan wants you and Satan wants to take you out, he will melt you like ice cream on an Arizona sidewalk. You are done. You are done if Satan wants you. But Satan has to go to Christ and ask permission. But, but here's the difference between Judas and Peter. For Peter, Jesus says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So it, the difference, what brings Peter to repentance is the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ's power that sustains Peter's faith. You see it? Yes, Peter was weak. Peter vacillated. Peter denied Christ three times. That, by the way, I learned recently is why Protestants made the wind vanes on the top of their barns out of roosters, to make them look like roosters, because Peter was tossed to and fro The wind blows the the wind vane to and fro to remind our Roman Catholic friends that the person who they said is the head of the church is the one who denied Christ. But (laughs) lay that aside. It is the power of Christ that sustained Peter Our Lord said, this is John 6 39, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me and raise it up on the last day. So Christ keeps you. And I was reflecting on this regarding the life of the Apostle Paul when he was finishing his ministry. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1. He's in a Roman prison. He knows that the end is soon. He knows that he is about to be executed. This is what he says in 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, Christ, and I am convinced that He, Christ, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then he says, really, as he closes the letter, this is verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and bring me safely into his eternal kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Christ, when he says bring me safely and into his eternal kingdom, what's he talking about? Heaven, death. He's saying Christ will safely bring me into his eternal kingdom. Christ will bring me home. I was reading this story about martin lloyd jones and his grandson and his grandson christopher catherwood read a poem to him and the poem described death as drifting out to sea it was beautifully worded and his grandson said to lloyd jones isn't that beautiful wonderful and lloyd jones said it sounds beautiful but it's wrong because death for the Christian isn't drifting out to sea. Death for the Christian is coming into safe harbor. Death for the Christian is coming home because it's Christ who keeps us. It's not some dramatic death out on the open ocean. It's that you are coming home to Christ. Remember what John Newton said through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come in the grace that brought me safe. Thus far is the grace that leads me where? Home. That's Christ. Christ is where our home is. Christ is the one who keeps us and brings us home. Third, eternal life is certain, Jesus says, not only because of his power, but because of the power of the Father. Look at verse 29. He says, verse 29, my father who has given them to me, given the sheep to me, he is greater than all. The the adjective is megos. It means greater than. Whatever you can match up against God, God is greater than. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. No one can snatch them out of the father's hand. And by the way, that includes us. We're not able to, to take ourselves out of Christ's hand or the Father's hand. This is the divine purpose of the Father. Notice it's the Father who gives the sheep to Christ, and it's the Father, then, who preserves the sheep ultimately by his divine power. And Jesus says that he is greater than all. Remember, Luke records in Luke 1:37: Nothing is impossible with God. And Prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah. 40 verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. Notice this language, by your outstretched arm it's the arm the hand of god nothing is too hard for you you think about the cosmos and the galaxies it's it's really spellbinding god is just showing off his glory i was reading about the voyager one craft that was launched in 19 It was launched in 1977, it's gone farther than anything that's ever been launched from Earth. And just in 2012, it it was traveling at 350 million miles a year. In 2012, it just left our solar system. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about our little bitty solar system in a little bitty small part of our galaxy, in a little bitty small part of the universe. And we launched a craft in 1977, and it just left the solar system. That's big. That's great. And we're meant to look up at the stars and think about the unsearchable power of God. One other verse from Isaiah, because I was, I was meditating about this this week, and it was just so comforting to think about. This is Isaiah 40, verse 12. Isaiah says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, that's the length of a hand, with a hand's breadth, and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. In other words, God measures off the universe with his hand, and the mountains, the mountains like little specks of dust on a scale to God. You ever go to one of these hipster coffee shops and you ask for a French press or a pour over and you see the the barista behind the counter? They start to measure out the coffee grounds on a little scale to get it just perfect. I like it like that. They get it just perfect. Isaiah says that the mountains that Everest and Mont Blanc and the Matterhorn, and McKinley, all the big mountains are like little pieces of coffee grounds on the scale. That's the power of God. And Jesus says, he's greater than all, and therefore no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's how secure you are. As vast as the universe is, is as secure as your salvation is. Jesus himself, before he gave up the ghost, you know what the seventh saying on the cross is? Father, into your hands I do what? I commit my spirit. Jesus trusted the Father and knew that his soul would be eternally secure. He's our pioneer. He's our older brother who goes before us. And Jesus knew that no one can take you out of the Father's hand. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. God is faithful. He will do it. He will bring you home. Peter says, 1 Peter 1, Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. You see how it begins with God. He says, we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And He said, we're born again to an inheritance, listen, that is imperishable. Is it imperishable if you can lose it? No. No. It's perishable then. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power is keeping you, guarding you, preparing you for that salvation in the last time. Now, we must continue to work. We must continue to believe. We must continue to walk by faith we must continue to persevere. Paul says, Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but know that in the background, he says, next verse, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's the third reason, is that eternal life is certain because of the power of the Father. Second, eternal life is certain because the power of the Son. First, eternal life is certain because of the fact that it's a gift. And then fourth, eternal life is certain because of the unity of the Godhead. Eternal life is certain because of the unity of the Godhead. Look at verse 30. This verse 30 is one of those verses. I know it's only six words, but you could meditate on verse 30 till the day you die. You can take verse 30 to the nursing home and just think about it. I and the Father are one. Wow, there's some metaphysics right there. I, masculine, singular. The Father, masculine, singular. One, neuter, singular. He's saying there's two persons here that we're talking about that are one in essence. What is that? That's the Trinity. He's saying there is a uniqueness to the person of the Father. There is a uniqueness to the person of the Son, but there is only one essence. There's only one God. And therefore, the unity of purpose of both the Father and the Son are always the same. They're always the same. So if it's the Son's intention to keep you, It's the Father's intention to keep you. And by the logic, who else's intention to keep you? The Holy Spirit. He's not mentioned here, but see how I told you you could meditate on this forever? It's there. The logic is there. God keeps you, therefore. That's the logic of this. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit works in your life to keep you. So that no one can take you out of God's hand. Not one of God's sheep will perish. That doesn't mean that there aren't what seem to us close calls. That doesn't mean that there's not periods of your life where you might not drift, where you might drift into sin. There are. There are Bunyan, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan describes a period in Christian's life where he walks through what is called the valley of the shadow of death. And when he walks through that valley, he describes it as a meandering stone path. And on the right side, it's an abyss. And if you fall off, you'll fall for a mile. And on the left side is a bog that if you fall into it, you will never escape. He's having to walk that narrow path, and it's dark, and it seems like he'll never make it through. Have you ever been there in your Christian faith where you had an existential crisis or something happened? Maybe it was a death or an illness, and you were in the valley of the shadow of death, and you just said, I don't know if I can, my faith can handle this. I don't know. Maybe it was a class at a, at a university. I don't know if my faith can handle this. Well, God always intercedes for his children. You remember what the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, as he's walking through the valley, he walks by the gate of hell itself. And the sulfuric fumes and smoke is almost blinding him. And in that moment, up ahead, he hears a voice, somebody reciting the 23rd Psalm. And then he knew where he was, and he kept going. And that's what God does for a sheep. You might be in a dark place. You might be in the valley. You might think, oh, God, are you really holding me in your hand? Are you really going to keep me? And guess what? He does, and he will. And he will always provide a way out so that your faith is maintained because your faith is held by him ultimately not you I once heard MacArthur say he said if I could lose my salvation I would if it depended upon me but it doesn't depends upon him praise be to God isn't this the greatest news in the world so if you know you're a Christian verse 37 then you can know that it can never be lost from here to eternity, your future is fixed, all for the glory of Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for these amazing truths, these glorious truths that salvation is a gift, it's not earned, that we are kept by the power of Christ, that we are kept by the power of the Father, and that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. And they are working. You are working to keep us in the faith. And for that reason, we will continue to the end that salvation can never be lost, that you keep us for life eternal, eternal fellowship and blessedness with you. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We glorify you. We honor you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.